You're all getting like your mints and stuff out. I was gonna start like, I was waiting for you to like calm down so I could start talking and there's just mints. Uh, it was great. Guys, I, I am so excited for this weekend for a number of reasons. One of them is the, like, the sheer hype in the room. Like, Colin said something about a rock, and you guys were like, yeah! Like, he was like, I was doing landscaping today. Woo! It was awesome. Uh, it's good, it good to be with you guys. Uh, my name's Jordan, and uh, one of the other reasons I'm excited to be here is uh, I had the, the chance to move up here five years ago with my family to be a part of the, the staff team that, that started up the salt company here. And so this is crazy for me being here because it's like salt company's all grown up now. Like I remember year one, fall retreat at Camp Victory. The sessions were held, like if some of you were staying in the lodges up there, like there's the big lodges and then there's like the living room area. Sessions were in the living room area. Like we had about 40 people here for the first fall retreat. We, uh, we decided to, to do a big uh, dance Saturday night, which other salt companies have done, and it's, you know, it's hype, it's like rave vibes, and we thought similar vibes would happen, but we, uh, we didn't know that salt company wasn't quite salt company yet, and then commenced one of the most single awkward moments of my life. Guys, like, the, the parking guys tonight were bringing it way harder. <laughs> yeah, parking guys! Parking guys, they were bringing it way harder than anybody at that dance was. And it's like, all right, I'm leading this thing. I got to get out there. And so it was like me and the one other staffer in the middle just like dancing. And people were literally standing on the sides. Uh, but we, 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 you know, we got it together. And things have improved a little bit over the years. And it's, it's just cool being here. And uh, the next step for my wife, my wife and I is we are headed... Uh, to West Lafayette, Indiana in 2023 to plant a new church. So let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So we loved it round one here. We're, we're bummed to be leaving Minneapolis. I've loved my time in Salt Company and at Salt City, but we're pumped about God doing this thing again. And so Purdue, here we come, which I know is a little bit too soon, guys, after last weekend. I know. I know, I know. Look, I was torn, okay? I was sad for the Gophs, but I think I did, like, become a Purdue fan in that moment. Like, choo-choo Purdue, uh, which, which I found out. Yeah, you can boo me. That's fair. That's fair. This is, I'll, I'll be done with this after, after this. But choo-choo Purdue, like, they're, they're called the Boilermakers. It just seems like that would make sense. And we had a vision trip recently, and I was yelling choo-choo Purdue at people, and they were like, what? What is, what is that? I'm like, I feel like you guys are wrong on this. Like, choo-choo Purdue. It works, you know? But uh, we're, we're going to West Lafayette. Um, we're moving, like, sometime in March. And so this is, like, a last hurrah for me at the Salt Minneapolis Fall Retreat. So really thankful to be with you guys. A um, little bit more about kind of me and my story, and then we'll, we'll get into some stuff here. Uh, when I was thinking about Fall Retreat, I started thinking about the first time I met my wife, Jessamy. And that's because it was at a salt company fall retreat. So if you don't know this, salt companies are all over the country. Yeah, there's a little rumble in the crowd. Okay, if, if, some, if some of you are nervous, right? Like if you've been around Christianity for a while and you're like, he's gonna do that pastor joke thing where it's like ring by spring and all this stuff. Okay, I'm not going there, all right? Like 
get married, stay single, either is great. Paul was a big fan of singleness. Jesus was single. He was a decent dude. So I'm not like making jokes about getting married. I'm just telling my story, all right? So, so I remember it. It was, it was my freshman year fall retreat. I was walking down a hallway. I turned the corner by the bathrooms. It's just, it's just where it was. And, and there she was. Jessamy was standing there. And I, and I remember seeing her because, dang, you know, like, she looked good. And specifically, we were, we were about to, uh, we were about to, like, play sports for the afternoon, and she was rocking eye black. She was, like, sporty, and I, I was like, I thought that was cool. And so, uh, so I, I snuck my way into, like, her sports group for the afternoon, you know, and I did, like, what guys do, which is try to impress her with my athletic prowess, and it didn't work at all. She was not impressed. Uh, but I remember driving home from that retreat, talking to my buddy Logan that knew just me well, and like, dude, tell me, like, who is this girl? Like, tell me about her. And two weeks later, I told Logan, I'm going to marry that girl. Which, which, like, I don't recommend. It was, <laughs> it, it was very premature, but also, like, you know, ring on the finger, guys. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only problem was is that Jessamy did not know we were going to get married. She was not feeling that. Uh, and so I started trying to hang out with her, whatever. We started this, like, volleyball thing on Wednesday nights so I could hang out with her. And, you know, I was pulling stuff, like, trying to get time with her of, like, hey, I, you know, like, I'll walk you back to your dorm, make sure you're safe. Yeah, but it was, like, daytime, and there was, like, three other people with her. So it was a little, it was a little too obvious. Uh, but I was walking her back to her dorm, and... You know, I was like kind of prepping for when I was going to ask her out, but then some stuff started to happen. She started to talk about how much our friendship meant to her. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. So she, she said it once, and I was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, she was just being nice. But then she said it again the next week, and I was like, oh, no. And so I, I got my buddy Scott, and I was like, Scott, this is what happened. I need you to help me think through this. Like, is this what I think it is? And kind of told him the story, and he was like, yeah, man, you're friend zone, which is, which is like relationship jail. It's like you're not, you're not coming back from that. Um, and I, yeah, so I like bailed for a couple days, and then uh, I decided, you know what, like I'm going to be the first dude ever to break out of the friend zone. We're doing this, right? And so, so it's like Scott and I were strategizing, like trying to figure this out. So we would meet about weekly to strategize on like the pursuit. But there was, there was one of these meetings, there was one of these meetings, there was a fateful day that Scott sat down across the table from me and I'll never forget it. He said, and I quote, uh, Jordan, if you're not gonna date her, I will. Yeah, yeah. And that's when Scott and Jessamy started dating. Yeah. And that's when I was giving relationship advice to Scott and Jessamy, and so I sabotaged the relationship. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that. I was nice. I was, I was nice, and I was like telling them about each other, but I was dying inside. Uh, but because the Lord is good and merciful, they broke it off fairly quickly. And then there was a long period of time still, and so we got to like the end of sophomore year, and I had about given up, but then something changed, another fateful day. It was my birthday, spring, love was in the air, you know? And uh, Jessamy walked up to me with a peach pie, 
which if I have a love language, it is peach pie. And she hands me this peach pie and says, here, I made this for you. And I tried, to, I tried to play it cool, but I was freaking out, right? But like, I don't know, maybe this isn't. Like, it's, it's, been, a whole, it's been a whole thing, whole process. So I ran back to my dorm. I got my roommates. I was like, guys, she made me a peach pie. What does it mean? And they were like, yeah, man, it's a sign. And sure enough, it was a sign. We freighted for a while. Then we like actually dated. Uh, freighted is friend dating. Hey, maybe that's not a thing you guys say. Uh, tough one. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that one, that one fell through. Uh, so uh, then we dated, dated for six months, uh, got engaged, and got married six months later, happily ever after, the whole thing. All right, yeah, uh, you don't have to clap for that, but all right, all right, so all right, so that was, that was just me and I's story. I want to do, do a quick, quick compare and contrast with my first ever date. Okay, first ever date, it was Alyssa Haugland, I was 10 years old. Uh, there was, there was a, a dance for 10-year-olds, which why? And I didn't want to go because I'm a 10-year-old boy. That sounds like the worst thing on earth, but my mom made me go. She was like, Jordan, you got to go to this dance. And she got me all dressed up in dress clothes that I didn't want to be in, and she asked Alyssa on a date for me. And so I'm at this dance where I don't want to be with this girl that is fine, like she was fine, but I didn't want to be on a date. I was a 10-year-old boy. So as we're like going in the dance, my mom hands me some money and is like, be a good date, buy her some pizza. And I was like, all right. And so I went to adjust the mic, but I went to the wrong side of my face. I don't know if any of you guys saw that. Okay. Um, So we go in. I don't talk to her through the whole dance because, again, 10-year-old boy, I'm hanging out with my friends. Then I'm like, I got to be a good date. So I go up to her, and I'm like, hey, what kind of pizza do you want? She's like, what? I don't want pizza. I want you to talk to me. And I was like, no, my mom said I got to buy you pizza. What kind of pizza do you want? And she was like, I don't want pizza. Like, can we just, can we hang out? And I was like, I'm going to go buy the pizza. And so, so I didn't know what kind she wanted, so I bought her cheese because, like, just to spite her a little bit. Nobody really wants cheese. And so I buy, I buy her the pizza. I give it to her. And we didn't talk the rest of the night. And then we got in the car and my mom was like, how was the date? And I was like, it was great. Like I did what I was supposed to do. And <laughs> Alyssa was crying. It was brutal. It was, yeah, I know, I know. I was 10 though. Like I, I didn't really know what was going on. All right, let's ca- compare and contrast these. Jessamy, I pursued because I desired her. It was the natural overflow of the thing that I wanted in my life. Alyssa, I quote unquote pursued because somebody told me to. And that that pursuit wasn't fun for me and it was actually like really hurtful to her. So my pursuit of Jessamy honored her. My pursuit of Alyssa was actually no fun and dishonored her. For a lot of you guys, relationship with God is like my date with Alyssa Haugland. Somebody along the way has told you that you should follow Jesus, that it's the right thing for you to do, it's a good thing for you to do, but there's a discrepancy between what you should do and what you want. And so your pursuit of Jesus looks like showing up to some stuff because it's the right thing to do, maybe trying to follow him and obey him because you should, But there's these other things in your life that you're pursuing in reality more than him because they're more desirable to you than he is. 
And the reality is that, that thing, that kind of just doing the motions of religion because it's what you should do, because somebody told you or maybe you told you, you feel like that's the way to be good or to be a good person, is not fun for you and it's not honoring to God. It's actually dishonoring to him. But there's another way to be with God. There's another way to have relationship with him, one that's fun for you and gives him glory. So here's what I want to get after this weekend. I want us to see together that Jesus is desirable. In fact, that knowing Jesus is the single greatest thing about life. It's the best possible thing that you could imagine. And to do that, I want to look at the biblical concept of glory. So glory means weightiness. It means radiant beauty. It means the fullness of of goodness. Everything good you can find in God. And so we're going to be looking at Colossians together this weekend, Colossians 1 and 3. We're going to start for the first two talks in Colossians 1. So if you guys got a Bible and want to flip there, I think that'd be awesome. We're going to have some of it on the screens as well, but I think it's helpful to like see it for yourself in the Bible. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, we're going we're gonna to look at who God is, and then we're going to look at what he's done and why that makes him desirable. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What we're going to see here is that Jesus is unbelievably powerful. That he owns and operates everything that exists, but also that he's incredibly relatable, that he's come near to us. So we're going to see the transcendence of God, but also the relatability of God in Christ, that Jesus is power expressed in vulnerability. And because of that, he has a unique glory, more than anything else in life. There's an analogy in scripture that's used for Jesus, and it's that he's both the lion and he's the lamb that he's powerful and ferocious, but he's also weak and vulnerable. So let's start first with Jesus, the lion, the powerful one. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Jesus. I want you to do something for me. Think of something that exists. I know it's hard, okay? Think of something that exists. You got it? Jesus made that. He owns it. Before molecules and energy and time itself existed, Jesus was there. And when he decided that it was time, he spoke existence into existence. In an explosion of light and energy and matter, the universe was born simply because Jesus wanted it to be. Jesus made galaxies and microscopic cells 
just for the fun of it. Jesus made a platypus, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And is evidence that Jesus has a sense of humor. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a bet from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was elbowing him, and he was throwing out like random animal combinations, and he was like, beaver, duck, you won't. And Jesus was like, boom, platypus, put them together. Jesus created everything simply because he wanted it to exist. Before this, I was out walking. There's a river over there. I don't know if you guys knew that, but it's, it's like beautiful. So I was over there wandering around, and there's all of this like animal life. There's birds that were flying through, and they couldn't see me. They were flying right past my face. There were squirrels, all this stuff. And I was just thinking about, man, like everybody's out there hanging out. Nobody even knows that this is out here. Why is this even here? It's because Jesus wanted it to be, and it glorifies him. And that universe is operating constantly as a perpetual testament to the glory of Jesus Christ. That he is good and that he's powerful. And it's not just that he created it originally. He is currently holding everything in existence. Verse 17. In him all things hold together. Jesus perpetuates the existence of literally everything. Like right now... Jesus is responsible for the movement of a random electron in your brain and for holding Jupiter in orbit. He's doing that currently, and it's easy for him. The sustained existence of Jupiter or of any of us is dependent on if Jesus wants us to exist. You are breathing right now because Jesus gave you permission to. He owns and operates everything. And as the maker and sustainer of the universe, he defines its purpose. So we all have this shared intuition that life, that it matters, that, it, that it's for something, that there's a goal, that it's oriented in a certain direction. Like, we understand that the universe is, is beautiful. It's like a work of art, but we also understand that it has, has purpose, a function. It's doing something. And part of what it means to be human is to ask the question, like, what is it for and what am I for? What, what's the purpose of my life? Verse 16 answers the question. It answers the question of the purpose, the singular purpose of your life why you're alive right now, while you're breathing, why you were created and what your life is for. Verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. You are included in the all things. Therefore, you are for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ruler of the universe, which means that he is the ruler of you your talents, the things that you've used to kind of demonstrate your capacity throughout life, your abilities, they're for him. Your suffering and the dependence that it creates, that's for him. Your ambition, your intellect, your relationships, every relationship that you have, your past and your memories, your future, your present, all of those things are not for you. Ultimately, they are for him. Therefore, the weight and significance of your life 
the glory of your life. Remember the word glory means weightiness. It means radiant weightiness. The glory of your life is in direct proportion to how much it revolves around the glory of Jesus' life, the weight of his life, which is hard for us because our instincts are to live for our own lives, for our own purposes, for our own names, and for our own glory. All of us do that to one degree or another. We can't help it. I want to tell you a story quick, so let's put that on pause. I want to tell you a story quick of something that happened to me recently that, that's really cool that connects back to, like, my life growing up. So, so I'm from a, a small town, and uh, in high school, I worked at the only coffee shop in town. It was called Graceka's American Espresso Coffee Cafe. Terrible name, worst coffee. Guys, if you're not into coffee, this doesn't mean anything to you, but if you are, we used to pull shots of espresso in the morning for the entire day. Yeah, and put it in the fridge and then pull it out and like pour it in ice drinks. It was, it was bad, but I loved working there and I got to know Graceka, Graceka's American Espresso Coffee and Cafe. I got to know Graceka, the owner of the place, and she like started to trust me. And so uh, when I was closing, some of my friends would kind of come around closing, and Grayska would usually just be like, ah, you guys hang out, just lock the place up when you leave. And so me and the same group of friends would kind of hang out late into the night at this coffee shop, just like hanging out, talking about life. But all of us were dreamers, and we had this kind of like angsty ambition. And so we would talk a lot of the time about what we were going to do with our lives. And we would talk about how we were going to get, get out of that small town and we'd kind of make fun of people that had like settled and were just living sort of the routine American dream, whatever. And so we would talk about what our dreams were in life. And we said we were going to maintain relationship and hold each other accountable for it. And my friend Kali, Kali Wood, it's kind of a different name, but Kali was awesome. Uh, Kali wanted to be a writer. And so at, at the end of these hangouts, she would like essentially always say the same thing. She, she would be like, one day I'm going to tell our story. It was like kind of dramatic, but we loved it. So she was like, we're all going to be friends. We're going to do great things. And then I'm going to write a book about it. And I'm going to write like a memoir about our lives. Okay. So my buddy Andrew wanted to be an actor. Classic. And his, his parents, like, supported him in it, and he actually did some fundraising to get some private acting lessons. We lived about two hours away from the Twin Cities. He would drive up to the Twin Cities to get private acting lessons, I think through the Guthrie, they had a program or whatever. Uh, and he graduated from high school, got some lessons, went out to L.A. to, like, shoot his shot. And it went bad at first, but then he got, like, a local advertising thing and started to make it and started to develop a, a career and. I won't tell you too much about that, but my other friend, Micah, he was super into business, and he, he wanted to have this career in business, and so he graduated, gotten involved in a startup, and then eventually, like, started his own company. And then Kali, I know we, I know we hate the Hawks, and, and I'm, like, about that, about University of Iowa hating that, but uh, they, have, they have a great, um, like, a prestigious writing school. Kali got accepted in the University of Iowa graduated with a degree in writing, and has become a writer. And, and she's not a household name by any means, but she's like doing 
pretty well. So I got this package in the mail the other day with a book in it. And there was a note from Kali that just said, I told our story. And so I've got like this book with me and she titled it Actor, Author, Entrepreneur, Pastor. And so I want to I want to read you guys like a section from this book, okay? So so before I get into this, there's something I got to tell you about this book. It's not real. This isn't the book. This is called The Intentional Father. It's a book I found in my office. <laughs> there is no book, guys, because our lives are not that interesting. Now, a lot of what I told you Huh? 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 Okay. Okay. Now, now. <laughs> Man, I, I didn't picture that amount of fallout. Okay. Now, now, okay, okay, come back to me. So, so a I didn't make up the whole story. Okay, so like all of, a lot, not all of that. A lot of that story is true. We really did, like she really did say she was going to tell our story. And we, there was like some various degrees of success like throughout our life. But the book isn't written because our stories are not that interesting. Like at the end of history, nobody will remember our names. Nobody's going to get to the end of history and say, oh yeah, Micah, Jordan, Kali, and Andrew, like they were great. That's what life was about. Our names are cosmically insignificant. Because at the end of history, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is the name at the end of history and therefore is what history is about. But here's the problem, is we miss out on the goodness of his glory. The reality of what this world is for because we're all so consumed with our own glory. We want to live lives that matter, that are worth something. It's, it's why you like got into that story and wanted there to be a book. It's because that, that pulls at us, is we want to live significant lives. But when we, when we try to look for glory, for something significant in our lives, all of our temptation is to look internal, to try to find glory in ourselves. But you won't find it there. You've got to look externally. You've got to look out at him because this world is about him. And there was a book written about him. And it's lasted for 2,000 years. And it's defined history. And it will define history forever. It will be the source of truth forever. Because Jesus is the name above every name. At which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And history will culminate in him. And it will end when he decides that it ends. Because he is what the world is about. It's about his glory, not ours. Now, I want to pull over for a second here and just kind of check in. How do you feel about a God like that? A God that owns everything and that has designed everything for his glory. How do you feel about that statement that he owns the universe and therefore he owns you? My guess is, is that that doesn't sit well with a lot of us. And I think one of the reasons is because all of us have seen power abused. And so there's an inherent and a cultural distrust of all power. Because power is so often used so poorly. The reason why we can trust a God like that 
the reason why you would want to follow a God like that, like if you're not a Christian and you're here, it's like why would you want to follow a God like that? Is because he's not just raw, unfiltered power. He's not just transcendent and distant, but he also came near. He's humble. He's relatable. And he uses his power to benefit and serve you, not to work against you, not to fight with you. He doesn't wield his power like a weapon. He uses it as a benefit for you. Jesus is the lamb. Verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. Okay, so God is invisible. And because of that, and because of how different he is from us, he's also unknowable. Like, there's an infinitely bigger gap between you being able to understand the fullness of God than there is in a one-year-old being able to understand differential equations or advanced physics. Like, you, you actually can't know God alone. You don't have the capacity to. But God didn't want it to stay that way, and so the unknowable God became known. He put himself into terms that you could understand, and those terms were a human being. God became man so that you could know him and love him and relate to him. He became man so that he could empathize with what it looks like to live on this earth so that he could display his love and his vulnerability to you. And it wasn't even that he just became a human, he became a baby. The most vulnerable of all things. He becomes visible and knowable in Jesus Christ. There's this quote about that, what's called the incarnation from Bono, of all people. But it's an amazing quote, and I want to read it to you. This is Bono about God becoming a human. Unknowable love, unknowable power, describes itself as the most vulnerable. Tears came down my face as I saw the genius of this. Love needs to find form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. I love that sentence. Love needs to find form. Transcendent power entered a human body. The lion became a lamb. And I want to submit to you that that makes Christianity utterly unique. Every other worldview, every other philosophy, every other religion has some form of heaven. Nirvana, the ultimate thing that you're reaching out for and the way you get there is you climb the ladder to heaven. There's some sort of moral system. There's some sort of theological framework. There's some sort of of action or group that you need to be a part of in order to climb your way up to heaven, in order to experience that. But what God understood is that we never could climb up to heaven. We would never be sufficient for that. 
And so God came down. He lowered himself so that he could become relatable to us, which shows unspeakable love. That God would, would put skin on so that you could know him. Who does that? It, it, it's amazing. And because of that, you can know God. You can know him. What people in previous generations before Jesus didn't have an opportunity for, you have the opportunity to see love embodied in him so that you can know God. Do you know him? And I want to clarify, I'm not asking you if you know about him. Those are two very different things, although they might seem similar. I'm not saying, can you list abstract facts about who God is? I'm saying, have you experienced his love? Do you know what it's like to, to be broken, to be insufficient and inadequate, to be hopeless, and to come to him and to find mercy instead of judgment, to experience what it's like to be in his presence? There's a difference between reciting abstract facts about him and knowing him the way you know someone that you love and that loves you. It's the difference between looking at a photo of Mount Everest and saying, oh, that's nice, and moving on with your day and climbing Mount Everest. You will be forever changed by that experience. And when you know God, when you experience him through Jesus Christ, you can't just look at him and say, oh, that's nice, and move on with your life. You'll be radically changed by the experience of his love. And to me, this is the best evidence that there's a God. I have reasons for why I believe what I believe. Reasons why I think the Bible is an incredibly historically accurate book and is a credible testament for truth. Reasons why I believe Jesus really did rise from the dead and why we have good evidence to believe that. I have plenty of reasons. But the primary one, the primary reason why I believe in God is because I talked to him this morning. And he talked back to me. And I had fear and insecurity and pain and sin, and I brought it before him and asked him to still accept me, and he said yes. Like, that I can walk by the river and, and I can hear his voice. <laughs> like, through just that experience of nature, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims its handiwork. When I look into creation, I see God proclaimed and, and I experience him in a way that I don't fully know how to explain, but that I'm convinced is reality. And I know if you've never encountered that, that might be hard for you to believe. That might not be the best explanation, but I just want to invite you to explore him with me because he's good and he's worth knowing. And he's glorious, not only because of who he is, but because of what he's done. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What did God come to do? He came to reconcile all things. And notice the scope of that reconciliation, whether on heaven or on earth. He came to make heaven and earth one. Which I love that idea and I want to I talk about that. We're going to be talking about that later in the retreat. So we're going to leave that there. 
But that's the scope of his reconciliation, his redemption. But I want you to notice that he used his power not to use you or to benefit himself, but to make peace with you. That's why he came. There was hostility, there was fighting between you and God. And it's because we all have rejected his authority. We've tried to set ourselves up as the rulers of our own universe. We haven't liked the fact that God rules over us, and so we've tried to dictate on our own what our lives should be and what is right and wrong, and that's offensive to God. But God's plan was to make peace with us. So how did he accomplish that peace? Verse 20, by the blood of his cross. Okay, question, why does blood accomplish peace? Well, he's, he's using war terminology that we were fighting with God. How do two countries in conflict restore relationship with each other? The answer is through blood. That's what war is. Two countries who are in conflict fight with each other. They both shed blood until someone gives up. But blood is the cost of restoration when there's conflict. But God didn't want you to have to shed your blood, and so he gave all of his blood. He sheds his blood on the cross so that he dies so that you don't have to die. And he offers you an exchange. The Bible uses death as a physical reality, but also an analogy of what you're like spiritually without Christ. And he says, I want to trade you. I don't want you to be dead. I don't want you to be hostile towards God. I want you to have spiritual life. And so he says, I'll take on your death and you can have my life. I'll take on your punishment for your hostility towards him. And then he offers you the blessing that he earned. He trades you. He gives up his life for your life. A trade, a transfer. I heard a, a, a story, well, I read it in a book that, that's a true story. It's the story of an eight-year-old boy and his six-year-old sister. The six-year-old girl was potentially dying of leukemia. And she needed a blood transfusion. And I guess the, the eight-year-old, the brother, <clears throat> was a, a match for what they needed. And so the parents of this eight-year-old kid go to him and they said, kind of tried to explain the situation and essentially said, hey, your, your sister needs some of your blood. Would you be willing to, to do that, to give her some of your blood? And he said, I, I, I've got to think about it. And so he, he took the night, he, he thought about it, and the next day he said, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And so they went to the hospital to do a, this blood transfusion. And as this boy was laying there on a, on a gurney hooked up to an IV next to his sister, he started to get really afraid. And he turned white and pale and the doctor came over and essentially said like, hey, what, what's going on? Are you doing okay? And he said this, how soon will I start to die? The reason was is because he thought he had to give all his blood. And he said yes, because he loved his sister. He was willing to trade his blood for hers. 
his life for hers. Jesus is willing to make that trade with you. It, it's, it's this naive, almost, love. This, you almost can't categorize it. It's a completely one-sided relationship. The cost for that boy was his life, and he said, yes, it's worth it to me to save her. The cost to Jesus was he had to leave heaven to come to earth to suffer physically and to suffer rejection by God in order to, say, to save you. And when God asked him to do it, he said, yes, it's worth it to me to have them. That's what Jesus came to do, to reconcile you. God owns the universe and he therefore owns you. How is that good news? It's because he's the kind of God who would humble himself to enter creation to save you, who would give up his life so that you can have life. You will not always understand everything that he's doing in the world. You will be confused. You will walk through hard things in this life. You will not understand everything he's doing in your life, but you will always know that he's good. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to get us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that you're everything that we need. We needed a, a lion. We needed somebody that was powerful, that could protect us, that was stronger than us. We also needed a lamb that would sacrifice for us, that could relate to us. Thank you that you're both. Jesus, Help us to be stunned by your glory. And because of that, to stop living for our names and for our glory. And to catch a greater vision for what our lives are about and what it looks like to live a glorious life, a beautiful life, a radiant life. Teach us to stop looking internal and to look external to you. And God, we, we confess that you are, you are here with us. You are not just an idea. You're a real person that came for us. And we want to praise you. We want to sing songs to you because you're desirable and you're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.